This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for December 2017. Well, we have quite a few hours to observe the heavens, assuming it's clear. And it doesn't seem to be clear all that much in northern England, I have to say, for the last few weeks. But let's hope things get better. Well, as darkness falls, over in the west is setting the square of Pegasus, the upturned winged horse. Starting at Alpharats, which is the top left-hand star of the square of Pegasus, there's a way to find the Andromeda galaxy. And also, in fact, around December the 18th, when there's a around new moon, you might have a chance of picking up M33 as well, which is not that far away. And there's a second way of finding it, coming down from the constellation Cassiopeia. The, the right-hand V of the W, in fact, is an arrow pointing down to where M31 is. And if you go to the night sky page, just put in night sky jodrell uh, into a search engine, then there is, in fact, a little chart, etc., to show you what to do. So coming around towards the south and then the southeast, we have that rather lovely region high up, the region between Cassiopeia and Perseus, and between the two, there's that lovely Perseus double cluster. And that looks very nice in a small telescope, and even you can pick it up with binoculars. Coming round further still, you have a nice yellow star. It's Capella. It's Auriga, Alpha Aurigae, and there's a sort of a rectangular-shaped constellation that basically comes down towards the constellation of Taurus the Bull. And that's a lovely constellation with two beautiful things in it. First of all, uh, up to the right, we have the Pleiades cluster. And then at its heart, we have the Hyades cluster. In the Hyades cluster is, or appears to be, a bright star, which is called Aldebaran. It's actually about halfway between us and the clusters, are so not part of it. And one of the highlights this month, as we shall see, is when the moon occults it um, around the end of December. Below Taurus is, of course, that wonderful constellation of Orion. The three stars of Orion's belt point up to the Hyades cluster or down to the left towards Sirius, which will be rising in the southeast. Canis Major, Alpha Canis Majoris, um, which is the brightest star we have in our northern heavens. Up a little bit to the left of Orion, there's a single bright star called Procyon, which is the brightest star in Canis Minor. And moving towards the zenith from Procyon, we have the twin stars Castor and Pollux, the heads of the heavenly twins. So that's really quite a nice part of the sky to observe. And as night goes on, Leo will gradually rise above the eastern horizon. What about the planets? Well, let's start with Jupiter. Jupiter is now a pre-dawn object, rising some two hours before the sun at the beginning of the month. It has a 31 arc second disk and shines at magnitude minus 1.7. As the month progresses, its apparent diameter increases to 33 arc seconds and it brightens to magnitude minus 1.8. Sadly, the low elevation will hinder our view, but the equatorial bands and up to four of the Galilean moons should be visible as they weave their way around it. 
Well, Saturn, in fact, will not be visible this month as it leaves the evening sky on its way to superior conjunction. That's when it passes behind the sun on December the 21st. It will then reappear in the pre-dawn sky next year. Now, Mercury was just visible in the evening sky at the end of November, will not be seen for three weeks as it passes between the Earth and the Sun on December the 13th, and that's inferior conjunction. From the 20th or so, it brightens rapidly in the pre-dawn sky to reach a magnitude of minus 0.3 by month's end, when it will be some 23 degrees away from the Sun. Now, as at this time of the year, the ecliptic at dawn makes quite a steep angle to the horizon, it will then have a reasonable elevation, so making the end of the month an excellent time to observe Mercury. It will then have a magnitude of about minus 0.3 and a disk seven arc seconds across. At the start of December, Mars lies in Virgo, just three degrees up to the left of Spica, Alpha Virginis. It's now a morning object at the start of its new apparition, and rises four hours or so earlier than the Sun. During the month, Mars has a magnitude increasing from 1.7 to 1.5, and an angular size of just 4.2, in fact increasing to 4.8 arc seconds across. So no details will be seen on its salmon pink surface. Mars crosses from Virgo into Libra on the 21st, moving eastwards to closely approach Jupiter on New Year's Eve, before a very close conjunction with it on the 7th of January. Venus was seen in a close conjunction with Jupiter on the 13th of November. It's now moving back towards the Sun and rises just 45 minutes before the Sun at the start of the month. It will be lost in the Sun's glare around the 12th of the month, on its way to superior conjunction, that's on the far side of the Sun, on January the 9th. In its final week of visibility, it will have a magnitude of about minus 3.9 and a disk 9.9 arc seconds across. What about the highlights? Well, I've mentioned M31 and M33, best seen around the 18th of December, around New Moon. And as I said, there's a chart on the Night Sky page to tell you how to find it. On December the 2nd, before dawn, if it's clear, there's probably the last chance for a while of spotting Venus as it sinks down towards the Sun, with first Jupiter and then Mars higher above in the southeastern sky. To actually spot Venus, a very low horizon towards the southeast will be needed, and perhaps binoculars. But please do not use them after the Sun has risen. On the 14th of the month before dawn, there's a nice grouping of Mars, Jupiter and a thin crescent moon. A very thin waning crescent moon will be seen with Mars to its upper right and Jupiter below. Well, we have two meteor showers this month. The first one is on the nights of December the 14th and 15th. And if it's clear, we'll have a chance of observing the peak of the Geminid meteor shower. Pleasingly, this is a great year to observe them, as the thin, waning crescent moon will not affect our view. The Geminids can often produce near fireballs, so the shower is well worth observing if it's clear. 
and observing location well away from towns or cities will pay dividends. The radiant, which is where the meteors come from, is close to the bright star Castor in the constellation of Gemini. And I give a chart for that in the night sky page as well. Of course, if it's clear, it'll be cold. So do wrap up well, wear a woolly hat and have some hot drinks with you. Again, the very late evenings of December the 22nd, 23rd are when the Ursid meteor shall be at its peak, though the rate of perhaps 14 to 15 meteors per hour towards the zenith is not that great. Again, pleasingly, the moon soon after new will not affect our view during much of the night. The radiant lies close to the star Kokab in Ursa Minor, hence their name. So look northwards at high elevation. Occasionally, there can be a far higher rate, so it's still worth worth having a look, should it be clear. Well, around 1am on the morning of December the 30th, 31st, the moon will occult Aldebaran. Quite exactly when will depend upon where you live in the UK. So it's just after 1am when the near full moon will occult the red giant star Aldebaran that lies between us and the Hyades cluster. It will then disappear behind the dark limb. And that's actually quite nice. The star just blinks out of view. It will reappear just before 2am. And again, those times, as a result of parallax, the moon's not far away, will depend on where you are in the UK. So if you start looking just after 1am, you'll have no problems. You're bound to see it. On December the 31st, before dawn, if clear, you should be able to spot Jupiter and Mars close together in the pre-dawn sky with elusive Mercury above the horizon down to their lower left. A low horizon towards the southeast will be needed to pick up Mercury and perhaps binoculars. But again, can I say, don't use them after the sun has risen. I usually mention an object on the moon to observe and just to say that December the 9th and the 26th are good times to observe the Alpine Valley, a rift across the Apennine Mountains. It's about 74 miles long, about 10 miles wide. A little rill runs along the centre, which is very hard to spot. So again, there's some details of that on the Night Sky page. So I do hope you do have some clear nights this month and some good chances to observe the heavens. Happy Christmas. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Antipodean listeners, here's Claire Bretherton with the night sky where you are. Kia ora, and welcome to the December Jodcast from Space Place at Carter Observatory in Wellington, New Zealand. We're really noticing our days getting warmer now and our evenings getting brighter as we head towards the Southern Hemisphere summer solstice on the 22nd of December. The eastern evening sky is dominated by our summer constellations of Taurus and Orion with his two dogs Canis Major and Canis Minor. The summer Milky Way stretches through these constellations and along our southern horizon. Whilst not as bright as our winter Milky Way, we can still pick out the mottled glow of bright and dark regions when observed from a dark location. The bright regions are the combined light of the many distant stars that form our galaxy, whilst the dark patches are clouds of interstellar gas and dust that block the light from more distant stars. 
Throughout this region, there are many star clusters and nebulae that can be observed with binoculars and small telescopes, and some that can even be seen with the naked eye. We'll start our tour of the southern skies in Orion, sitting high in the east after dark, and easy to find by the three bright stars that form his belt. Here in Aotearoa, we call these Totoru, meaning line of three. As he lies along the celestial equator, Orion can be seen at least partially throughout the world. Above Orion's belt is a line of faint stars which form Orion's sword. But in New Zealand, we see him upside down, so instead his belt and sword become a pot or saucepan. In Greek mythology, Orion is a hunter, and the arch-enemy of Scorpius, our winter constellation. The two continually chase each other around the sky. Just as one rises in the east, the other sets below the western horizon. At the top left of the constellation is the bright blue-white supergiant Rigel or Puanga. Whilst Rigel has been given the beta designation, it is in fact normally the brightest star in the constellation, and the seventh brightest in the night sky. Its colour tells us that it is extremely hot, with over twice the temperature and many tens of thousands of times the luminosity of the sun. With an estimated age of just 8 million years, compared to 4.5 billion years for the sun, Rigel is a young star, but has already used up all the hydrogen in its core and has swollen out to between 79 and 115 times the sun's radius. Hot, massive blue stars like Rigel don't live very long. They live fast and die young, using their fuel quickly before meeting a violent death. Over the next few million years, Rigel will expand further and cool to become a red supergiant, before ending its life in a massive explosion called a supernova. At the bottom right of Orion is Betelgeuse, a star that has already reached the red supergiant phase, bloating out and cooling down to give it its wonderful red hue. Betelgeuse is designated Alpha Orionis, but is currently the second brightest star in the constellation. Estimates of its mass range from around 8 to 20 times that of the Sun, and if it were placed at the centre of the solar system, its surface would reach out almost as far as the orbit of Jupiter. One day, Betelgeuse is going to end its life in a supernova. Of course, soon to astronomers could be a million years, but if it does go bang within our lifetimes, it's sure to be a spectacular sight, perhaps becoming so bright you could see it in the daytime. At a distance of over 600 light-years, it is possible this explosion has already happened and we're just waiting for the light to reach us. But, as well as stars at the end of their lives, Orion also contains stars whose lives are just beginning. If you look carefully, you may see the middle star of Orion's sword has a fuzzy appearance. This is the Great Nebula in Orion, or M42. The Orion Nebula is a stellar nursery, a huge cloud of gas and dust in which new stars are being born. At around 1,344 light-years away, M42 is the closest massive star formation region to the Earth, with around 700 stars in various stages of the star formation process. In the heart of the Orion Nebula is a small group of bright stars known as the Trapezium Cluster. The ultraviolet radiation from these stars is lighting up the surrounding gas. Whilst easily spotted with the naked eye, through binoculars or a small telescope, the nebula is a wonderful sight. Take your time and you should be able to clearly see some of the nebulosity of M42 and the bright star cluster that lights it up. Another nebula in Orion that is well worth a look is the Reflection Nebula M78, easily found as a hazy patch in a small telescope. With a larger telescope, the famous Horsehead Nebula, silhouetted against the emission nebula IC434, 
is a lovely sight just to the south of the star Alnitak, the easternmost star in Orion's belt. Its proximity to bright Alnitak makes viewing the Horsehead Nebula more challenging, but long exposure photographs will reveal much more detail. Following Orion's belt to the left, we come to an upturned V-shape of stars marking the head of Taurus the Bull. At the bottom of this V is the bright orange star Aldebaran, at around 65 light-years away, representing the eye of the bull. The other stars in the V are part of the more distant Hyades cluster. At 153 light-years away, the Hyades is the closest and one of the best-studied open clusters to Earth. It is estimated to be around 625 million years old. Over time, the cluster will continue to spread out and disperse into space, with some of the largest and brightest members already coming towards the ends of their lives. Near to the fainter of the two horns of Taurus, and just about visible in binoculars under excellent conditions, is the Crab Nebula. First discovered by English astronomer John Beavis in 1731, the Crab Nebula is a supernova remnant now believed to be associated with supernova SN1054, observed and recorded by Chinese astronomers in 1054 AD. Continuing further around the sky, you come to another famous open cluster, the Pleiades, or M45, at a distance of 444 light-years away. This group of stars is even younger than the Hyades, and is dominated by a number of hot, massive blue stars only around 100 million years old. The Pleiades has many different names in many different cultures, but here in New Zealand is known as Matariki, meaning little eyes or eyes of God. The rising of this group of stars for the first time before the sun around June each year marks the coming of the Maori New Year. Following Orion's belt to the right, you come to Sirius or Takarua, the brightest star in our nighttime sky, and in the constellation of Canis Major, Orion's large hunting dog. Canis Minor, the small dog, is a little below, close to the eastern horizon. It contains just two bright stars and looks like a single line when traced on the sky. Here at Space Place, we like to call it the Hot Dog Constellation, as that's the only dog we know of with no head, no legs, and no tail. The brighter of the two stars, Procyon, is one of the Sun's nearest stellar neighbours at just 11.46 light-years away. Whilst it appears as a single star, the eighth brightest in the night sky, it's actually a binary star system, consisting of a white main-sequence star and a faint white dwarf companion. From Orion and his hunting dogs, you can follow the band of the Milky Way around the sky, through the False and Diamond Crosses, to Crux, the Southern Cross, low in the south. Scanning a pair of binoculars along the Milky Way should pick out glowing gas clouds and numerous star clusters, whilst revealing much more detail than the eye can see. Both Mercury and Saturn quickly disappear from our dusk skies this month as they move closer to the Sun, leaving our evenings bereft of bright planets. Mars is the first to rise around 3.30am at the start of the month, with Jupiter joining it around 40 minutes later. By the end of December, Mercury will also reappear in the morning, rising rapidly up the dawn sky to sit just below Orange Antares. We also have a number of meteor showers happening this month. The Phoenicians reach their peak on 6th of December and are thought to be associated with the comet D1819W1 Blampane. With the radiant in the constellation of Phoenix not far from Achenar, this shower is well-placed for Southern Hemisphere observers throughout the hours of darkness. The Phoenicians were first discovered during an outburst in 1956, 
where approximately 100 meteors an hour were seen from locations across the southern hemisphere. However, activity is very uncertain, and rates since have been much, much lower than this. The minor Papid Velid meteor shower also reaches its peak at around the same time, with a zenithal hourly rate of around 10. However, the radiant will only rise around 14 degrees above our horizon, so we may only get around 3 an hour. Just a few days later, peaking on the 15th of the month, are the Geminids. The Geminids are one of the best meteor showers of the year, but we're not well placed for viewing in New Zealand, with the radiant in the constellation of Gemini and well north of the equator. The constellation is at its highest around 3am, but still appears low in our northern sky. Due to this low height, we only see around half of the meteors visible to those in the northern hemisphere. Wishing you clear skies and a Merry Christmas from the team here at Space Place at Carter Observatory.